0: Uh, Our scripture reading for the day is going to be Lamentations chapter 5, verses 1 through 22. Uh, Lamentations 5, 1 through 22. This is the word of the Lord. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans fatherless our mothers are like widows we must pay for the water we drink the wood we get must be bought our pursuers are at our necks we are weary we are no we are given no rest we have given the hand to egypt and to assyria to get bread enough our fathers sin and they are no more and we bear their iniquities slaves roll over us there is none to deliver us from their hand We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this, our heart has become sick. For these things, our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. All right. Thanks, Tyler.
1: Well, uh, as you can see, we are wrapping up Lamentations. This is chapter 5 and the last chapter uh, next week. The plan is, Lord willing, we will uh, start a new series in Exodus. So uh, we'll be getting ready for that. Um, Lamentations is, is kind of a crazy book, right? Um, you know, and if, if you read through the Bible, you, you might have thought that maybe a time or two that God seems a little bit schizophrenic, Right. You know, or or even if you're if you've you know been around churches and you hear a lot of sermons and you hear about God's overwhelming love like this main thing is like you just can't imagine how much God loves you and then you open up maybe a passage in the bible and God seems a bit more scary right like he's doing these there are these people who are suffering and it seems like they're suffering at God from what God is is doing and so so with these two parts of God that we hear about in the bible so often about God's overwhelming love uh, and and the severity that we often see in the scriptures, what should we expect from God? You know, have you ever wondered, just like, am I getting this, am I getting the straight story from whoever's preaching or the books I'm reading? Because it seems like everybody's selling like this God is love thing, but then I read the Bible and I see it's really intense. And so, so what should we expect from God? You know, what am, what am I being sold and what am I reading? How should I? understand who God is and what should I expect? Should I expect this loving God or should I expect this God who seems a bit more harsh? So so today as we finish our time in Lamentations, I want to try to speak towards that. Uh, and in doing so, I want to consider two things. I want to consider first God's judgment, and secondly, I want to consider our response to God's judgment. So so first, God's judgment in Lamentations 5, 1 through 18, we read about the suffering that Judah was enduring. And, and they aren't just going through a little bit of a tough season. This isn't like a 2020 COVID-19 quarantine. You know, that's kind of hard, kind of cool, kind of everybody's kind of stayed back, doesn't know what they're doing. This is, this is insane, what's going on with these people right here. So they had another country, Babylon, come in and completely overwhelm and humiliate them. And this and this wasn't random. It wasn't just that this other nation got the better of them. This was God's promised judgment. And weeks ago, we talked about this. God promised way back in the beginning through Moses, if they turned away from God, that other nations were going to come and over overcome them. And, and then he sent prophets also warning them, if you don't turn and repent, this is what's going to happen. And eventually, after God being very patient with them, they, he did bring Babylon, and they got the promised judgment that God told them that he would deliver. And it, when we look at verses 1 through 18, we see what happened. In verse 2, their land has been given to strangers. Um, imagine someone comes in your home I mean, and, and just takes over your home, and you're a stranger in your own home. But this is Israel's lands. Uh, in verse 3, we see their, their parents have died. There's orphans in the land. Uh, verse 4, they have to pay for water. Verse 9, people are dying by the sword when they go out to get bread to eat. Women are raped in verse 11. Joy has left them, verse 15, and their hearts are sick, verse 17. So this is unbelievably intense suffering. And as crazy as 2020 might be for us, it really doesn't get anywhere near what's going on here with, with the people of Judah. And so why did God allow this? Why did God let Babylon crush them? Like I said, he was being faithful to his promise. He told them through Moses, later through the prophets. If they turn, this would happen. He would send another nation to crush them, and he did. It was Babylon with Judah. Now, when you read through what's going on with the people of Judah during this time, I think you read through it, and if you're like me, it seems a bit too much, right? Have you ever seen God's judgment in the Bible and think it, it seems a bit too much? And, and if I can be real for a second, have you ever thought that about hell? Doesn't hell seem like a bit much? Maybe we could tone that down something uh, just a bit. Has that ever not sat well with you, or is that just a thought you kind of ignore because you don't want to want to go there? And Look, there, there's something that God does in his, in his judgment. If, if we see God doing something in the Bible, and he's judging his people, he's being severe, he's being harsh with them, and we think it's too much, what should we do with that thought? Should I try to make the Bible mean something else? Should I try to maybe clean it up and maybe when it says this, it doesn't mean it this way? Maybe this meant something else? Should I maybe try to overlook these difficult passages for the more happy passages about God's love and mercy? Or, or should I consider that maybe? Maybe the problem is my idea of justice isn't enough. Maybe God's idea of justice is right and my idea of justice is off. And, and I think one of the reasons we struggle with understanding God's justice and thinking that His judgment is too severe or too harsh is because we have too low a view of God. For example, let's say you take a piece of paper that, that a child has just been doodling on. And you take that piece of paper uh, let's say it's left behind after church. a child's been doodling on this piece of paper, and you take that piece of paper and you get you a sharpie pen, and you write your name over over that kid's picture. No big deal, right? I mean, maybe to the kid, maybe not. It's just not a big deal. To take a sharpie pen, write your name on a kid's doodling page, right? Well, let's say, let's say you somehow get your hands on the Mona Lisa. You take a sharpie pen, and you write your name over the top of that Mona Lisa Lisa uh, painting. There's a sense where the activity is no different. What you did is the same, but it's a night and day deal, right? Like you're probably going to jail for a long time, and it's a big deal, national news, if you did that. And so the issue isn't so much the activity. How bad was the activity? The issue is the object that was defamed. Now, here's the deal. We are created in the image of God. God made us in his image. We are representations of him. And so when we sin, we don't just make mistakes, do things we ought not do. We defame God. And for Christians, it's even worse because when, as Christians, Christ in us, we've been, we've been Jesus into it. And Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 6, about those who were, who were sleeping around and going to see prostitutes, saying, you are taking Christ to see a prostitute. This is a big deal. And, and God doesn't treat this kind of stuff lightly. So just because it might not seem like a big deal to us, just because we might think his judgment is too harsh or too severe, doesn't mean that it is. If God says one thing and we think another thing, then, then we shouldn't go with what we think, right? Maybe we just don't understand. So here's the, the question I want to throw out is in light of God's judgment. Is God's judgment something for non-Christians to worry about and not for Christians to worry about? Or should we as Christians who trust in the finished work of Christ have any concern about God's judgment? Well, what I'd like to do today is make the argument that we should be concerned as Christians who believe in the work, finished work of Christ that we should be concerned about God's judgment. Hear me out. First, I want to be clear that it would be wrong to say that that any or all kind of suffering is God's judgment, but but you could be sympathetic. To, to the people of Judah, the people of Israel, who, who would think that, right? Because we have Jeremiah warning the people, in, uh, the people of Judah, saying like, look, if you don't turn from your sins, these bad things that God promised is gonna happen, and guess what? They don't turn from their sins, and these bad things that God promised would happen, happen. And so the people in, in Jeremiah and Lama, in, in, the, in the day of Lamentations, they would rightly think, yeah, all these bad things are happening because of our sin. But... Consider the conversation that Jesus had in John chapter 9 uh, with the disciples. So in John chapter 9, uh, they, uh, Jesus is with his disciples and they stumble up upon a man who's been blind from birth. And John chapter 9, verse 1 through 2, it says this. It says, he passed by. He, uh, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So, so the question isn't, is this man blind because of sin? It's like, well, that's assumed. We're just wondering about, like, like who's it on? Is, is this man blind because of his own sin or is this his parents? Because we know it's one of them, right? So, so which one? And so then Jesus obviously corrects that in verse 3. He says, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. It didn't have anything to do with that. It was about God doing something else, displaying his glory through this man. So Jesus makes it clear, this is not the result of sin or God's judgment. This is about God's glory, and they are wrong to connect it to sin and suffering as a result of, of, this, of somebody's sin. So does that settle it? Can we say from that passage that, that, that God's judgment doesn't fall on, on Christians or that it's never connected to sin? Well, suffering should not be connected to God's judgment for Christians always, but sometimes, well, let's do this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29 through 32. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29 to 32. Let me set the table what's happening here. So the people of the church in Corinth, they're taking the, the Lord's Supper, right? This is what we're going to do, do, do today. We come and remember the, the, the body Jesus gave, his blood poured out for us. that reconciles us. That makes us one with Christ, one with one another. Well, what was happening, many of you know what was, what was happening here. There was this division between the haves and the have-nots. And when they were having this meal, they were coming together, and the people with money, they were having this huge feast. They were even getting drunk uh, and having this party. And then the people who, who were poor among them were just kind of eating the crumbs. They were They were starving, and it says they were even being humiliated. So if you've ever been in a place, maybe you walk into an environment and you feel like, hey, there's this group over here and they're all buddies and love each other and all that. And then you walk in and you just feel like an outsider. You don't belong. And then then maybe something happens at the event that makes it even just like what you are maybe insecure, suspicious about. Something happens to make it even further. Like, yeah, you're not really a part of this group. Well, that is the antithesis to what happens with Christians when they come together at at the Lord's table, right? Like we all come and we are one with Christ, one with one another, And so anyway, this was a big deal, what was happening in Corinth, that that the very idea that they would come to the Lord's table and there would be division there, how dare they do that with the Lord's Supper? So here's what Paul writes in chapter 11, verse 29. He says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, and I would say discerning the body of those who were were there with them, the the church, uh, eats and drinks judgment on himself that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died but if we are judged if we judge ourselves truly we would not be judged but when we are judged by the lord we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world so these people came under god's judgment they became weak ill and some even died and they were christians these were people who trusted in the finished work of Christ. That's surprising, right? That, that they would die, that they would be judged like this when they when they trusted in the finished work of Christ? That's surprising. And now you might think, well, Kevin, I'm not, I'm not so sure they are Christians. I think you might be reading too far into that. Well, well, look at verse 32. It says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So they were judged by the Lord, and Paul goes on to call that judgment discipline, and the purpose of that discipline was so they won't be condemned along with the world. That means that God, rather than letting them drift away into, uh, to, to drift away from the faith and be condemned, he allowed them to become weak, ill, or even die. And so their sickness and death was a judgment and a mercy, part of pres- preserving them in the faith. Now, I hold to a doctrine known as the perseverance of the saints. And it means that once we are saved, we are saved for good, that we can't become unsaved. And and, and the reason is, it isn't because we can't lose it. It's because God won't lose us. So when you are saved, you are secure. And God might even preserve his people through their death. That's how committed God is to keeping you. He would kill you before he would allow you to depart from the faith. And I would say, praise the Lord, right? I'd rather that than to to depart from the faith. He will keep us. He will not lose his people. And he's also not going to allow his table to become defamed. So it's important for us to understand that when the Corinthians became weak, ill, and died, it was not God's judgment as punishment, but it was God's judgment as discipline like the text says in verse 32, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. Now, here's one thing you really need to get. For Christians, for those of us who trust in the finished work of Christ and follow Jesus, punishment off the board. There, Romans 8:1, there is no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus. So when you turn from living your life for yourself and turn to God, you trust in the finished work of Christ, punishment is off the board. The, the penalty has been paid in full. The the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus has already taken the punishment. There is no more punishment to give. In fact, it would be unjust of God to punish you for what has already been paid in full. But God's judgment through discipline is still very much on the board. So for those of you who maybe take God lightly, for those of you who have maybe forgotten or overlooked the God of Lamentations, the God of 1 Corinthians 11, the God of the Bible, you should be warned. God will judge and discipline his people. Consider 1 Peter four seventeen: For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So God does judge within his own household. He judges and he disciplines Christians. Now, let me speak more about how this applies to us. Sometimes we, we, we do things out of good motives and, and, and not as good motives, right? There's kind of high motives and low motives. Like let's say with your spouse or with your parents. Um, you know, sometimes when you're, when you're, when you're at your best, you know, you do something for your parents or your spouse because you love them. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean up the kitchen just to show them that, that I love them. Other times, maybe it's a lower motive, right? Like, I'm just going to do this thing because I just don't want to hear it. Like, I just don't want to get an earful about it. And I'll just do this just to, to, to avoid something unpleasant. And so, so here's what I'm saying. There's, there's, there's high motives and low motives. Sometimes we, like when we obey God, the, the, the high motive is to obey God out of love for God an understanding of the work of the, the, the gospel of grace, the finished work of Christ, and we work out of appreciation for that. But there's other motives too, that while they might be less honorable, I think they still should be in play. Because here's the thing, I'm not always at my best. When I'm at my best, the high motives will, will carry me. But I'm, I'm thankful that sometimes there's low motives that can carry me in those drier seasons. And so, so here's what I would say is that it's not wrong to obey God or to avoid sin in order to avoid God's discipline or judgment. I'm not saying that's the highest motive in what you should shoot for. We're just getting down to the lower motive here, but it's something that I think the Bible reveals to us that we should consider. So, so for those of us who understand the gospel— when we understand the gospel, we understand we could not be more righteous in God's sight than we are because the righteousness of Jesus has been credited to us who believe, and all of our sin has been, has been put on him, and so our sin has been dealt with. There's no more punishment. It's all taken care of. But we should not think that just because our sin has been dealt with that God will not discipline us in a way that will be painful. Hebrews 12 is clear that God will discipline his children. So, when you have that moment of weakness, that moment of temptation, and you comfort yourself with the gospel in a way that gives you a license to sin, because Jesus covered your sin, don't forget that God disciplines his children. And look, for any of us, when we understand the gospel well, and Paul even addresses this in in, in his letter to the Romans, when we really begin to understand the gospel, you can't help but think a little bit, sounds like I got a license to sin. It's it's so taken care of. And there's a sense where it's so taken care of. Like yeah, there is a sense where you can sin and that doesn't uh, that doesn't send you to hell. That doesn't make the work of Christ any less finished. But what we need to understand is that God still disciplines his children. It's judgment through discipline, it's not punishment. And we should consider that whenever the gospel begins to park up in such a way that it gives us a license to sin. That The gospel should comfort you in your sin. And look, I don't know if it's been this week, this, it's, there's gonna be a time you're gonna despair over your sin. Like I, I'm in the club with you. You will do or say something that you can't believe you did or, or say, right? Like we've all been there and we need the gospel to comfort us in those moments. But what we don't need the gospel for is to give us permission to go and do it again, is to lighten the conviction, So while God is merciful and kind, he will also allow part of his judgment through discipline is to allow for the consequences of sin to to take effect. Galatians 5, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. So if your gospel, if you're using the gospel as a license to sin, do not be deceived. God is not mocked and, and you will suffer the results of that sin you will not be happy with the results of what you're doing and and let me again be, let me say and be clear that we should not assume that anyone's suffering is directly related to their sin that's going to be a wrong application of this like what we see in in job 1 or we see in john 9 is we have no business going to someone who is suffering and say i think i know what's going on here i think you're you're terrible and this is why it's happening like that's just not our place. That's off the board for us. If you read through Job, Job's got Job for sure is suffering innocent. Like right out of the bat, Job he's a righteous man. He's a good guy. He's suffering, and then his three friends come in. They're like, "You've done something to deserve this," and he hasn't. They didn't understand what was going on, so we don't need to be considering that. But neither should we assume that God does not judge and discipline His people. Now. What about this dumpster fire that we call 2020, right? With all this crazy stuff happening. What about COVID-19? Is that God's judgment? Should we just say, look, COVID-19, things happen. Or is it God's judgment? Are those who get COVID, are they under God's judgment? Are, Are people who get coronavirus under God's judgment? Yes or no? Just think about that. Don't answer out loud. Um, I hope you see, even just in our short time, that we can't answer that with a universal yes or no. Job was not; Job was suffering, and it was not under God's judgment. The man born blind was suffering; it was not under God's judgment. The Corinthians became weak, ill, and some even died, and they were under. God's judgment. You know, we've had several copies out for the last month or two uh, of John Piper's book, uh, "The The Coronavirus and Christ," Uh, and in it, one of the things that he's he's engaging in this book is what is God doing through the coronavirus. And the the second part of that book, he he gives an answer to, to that question: What is God doing through the coronavirus? And his his second answer to that question is this: What is God doing through the coronavirus? S- second answer, some people will be infected with the coronavirus as a specific judgment from God because of their sinful attitudes and actions. So this surely has and will happen to Christians, right? And coronavirus, but you can plug in any, anything else. It, it could. He says, and again, he says, some, not all and not never, but some. And we don't need to be in the business of trying to figure it out with anybody else but what is god doing this for if it's not punishment and we you got to get he's not evening the score right the score got even with christ on the cross right so what is he doing when he is 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 judging through does what's what's he trying to do what's his end game here and i think we get a clue to what what he could be doing when we're suffering in lamentations chapter 5 verse 21 i think i think god is trying to provoke a response through this judgment and discipline. And I think we get our answer in Lamentations 5.21. This is my second point. We'll talk about our response. Lamentations 5.21 says this, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew Renew our days as of old. Now, notice he doesn't say that they will do better, that they will quit doing the bad things, start doing the good things. He says, restore us to yourself. And it isn't that they shouldn't stop doing the bad things and start doing the good things. It's just that reconciliation comes first. It's always got to come first. And, and this is the response that God is provoking for the people of Judah, a restored relationship with himself. And look, we have it hardwired in our sinful nature to forget God. When, when things are going well, we tend to forget God. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, Moses is warning the people, saying, look, things are going to go well. We're gonna to get to this new land, and things are gonna be multiplied. Things are gonna be great, and he warns them. And you're gonna forget God. Take care, lest you forget God when all this good stuff happens. And 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 sometimes we don't even need that much success to forget God. We just need things to be not be too bad. But man, when we're suffering, isn't God just right in your face when you're when you're hurting relationally? When you're hurting with with sickness? When you're not well? God is inescapable, right? And in those moments when we suffer, when we are in real pain, when things are worse than we thought they they could ever be, don't we feel like God has forgotten us? Have you ever felt like that? Like things just go so poorly so often. I mean, is there even a God? And the reason we wonder if there's a God is because we feel forgotten. If there is one, he forgot. It doesn't seem like he remembers me. And what is Lamentations 5, chapter 5, verse 1? How does that start off in the midst of this misery? What does he say? Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Remember, O Lord, don't forget about me. This is what it was like for God's people to be under God's judgment. It was like God had forgotten them. And we see this in the, in the Psalm, Psalm 42, 9, I say to my God, I say to God in my rock, why have you forgotten me? And, and what about when Jesus came under God's judgment? God's judgment that was punishment. Of course, it wasn't for, for punishment on Jesus for what he's done. It was our sins, not his own that he was punished for. But when he was under God's judgment, what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now look we know Jesus knew what was going on. He was quoting Psalm 22 there but he's when, when a person is under God's judgment it feel forgotten, forsaken. The most terrifying thing that can happen to you is to be forgotten or forsaken by God. But the gospel turns that upside down, right? In Lamentation, we read about God's people under God's judgment. They feel forgotten and they say, remember me, O Lord. And what does Jesus do the the night before he goes to the cross, the the night he was betrayed? In Luke 22, they're about to take the Lord's Supper or the the Passover meal, instituting the Lord's Supper. In Luke 22, uh, verse 18 to 19, Jesus says this, He says, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave gave it to them. said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as Jesus is going into take God's judgment, what does he say? Remember me. It makes sense that the creature would say to the creator, remember me. But our God became like us, came under the judgment that was due us and said to us, remember me. Why wouldn't you want to be restored to Jesus? Yes, he is severe, but he is also humble and kind I mentioned a few weeks ago that the, the high point of Hebrew poetry doesn't come at the end. You know, a lot of times in poetry now or or whatever, the, the, the big the, the big reveals at the end. But in Hebrew poetry, the, the high point is in the middle. In the middle of Lamentations is chapter three, verse 33. And what does it say? What's the high point of this book of lamentations? We've been studying lamentations for, for a while now. Somebody says, Hey, what's it about? Go to Lamentations 3.33 and and work out from there to explain it. Lamentations 3.33 says this, He does not afflict from his heart. He does not judge. He does not afflict from his heart. It isn't what is most natural to God. You know what is most natural to God? It's mercy and kindness. And he calls us to himself, not to get our act together, to come to him, to be restored to him. So, so would you come to Jesus today? It is not his heart to afflict you, but rather as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, do you know, this is, I'm about to read to you God's heart for you. It is not his heart to afflict you. Get that deep in your bones and get this. This is God's heart towards you. Ephesians 2.7, to show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. That's his heart towards you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we read this book. We see the devastation that happened to the people that turned away from you. We are grateful that it is not your heart to afflict, but rather to show the immeasurable riches of your grace and kindness in Christ Jesus towards us, and we are thankful for the cross. This judgment is more than we could bear, and surely all eternity would not be enough, would not even create um, the the redemption that we require. But you accomplished it in your Son, and His living the perfect life that we could not live and have not lived is taking the punishment we could not bear because your heart is to show us the immeasurable riches of your grace and kindness. And Jesus, we love you and thank you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.